Well, we're looking at a passage where we're going to learn about rising up and how we're to do that, and we're to rise up with the mighty weapons that God has given us. We're going to be reading 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. I will be focusing on verses 3 through 6, but we need the context of this paragraph. This is the inerrant word of God. This is part of our weaponry. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent am bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Let's pray. Father, this is your mighty word, and we're coming here as your weak servants, but we long, Lord God, to serve you with the power of the Holy Spirit. We long to rejoice in our salvation. Oh Lord, make us stronger through your mighty word at this time. Lord, give us hearts to listen and to apply your holy word. We love you and we praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we ask for your leading in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, last year in in, uh, 2020, near the end of the year, Phil and I and Rodney discussed, as we usually do about that time, uh, about the theme, I guess you'd call it a theme of the year, and it was, we thought it was appropriate. We thought it was helpful and needful that in 2021, it's actually more needful than we realize, uh, but it'll always be needful to talk about spiritual warfare, and we thought, let's focus our, our, our prayer, let's focus our, some of our sermons, let's focus some of our shepherding meetings on spiritual warfare. The warfare we are in, we know we are in it. We didn't know over the past two years, we do now maybe, that the battle we are in is as members of Christ together, members of his kingdom. And we began the year looking at Matthew 11, Matthew 11, 28 through 30, where we are reminded by the Lord Jesus, where he said, come to me. He was inviting us to come to him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And in battle, we can be that. We can be burdened. And he knows this, and he loves us. And so when we're burdened and needing rest in battle, we are to come to him. We're to always come to him, but certainly at that time. And our Lord Jesus is the source of our rest. He is the source of soul rest, of deep rest. He is our strength. And we are also, we saw in that passage, we're also to submit to his will and to his authority. We are yoked with him. We are yoked with him. And so he's going a certain way. We should willingly go that way. We are yoked with him. Praise God we are yoked with him. And uh, we'll never be in the battle alone. And he wants us to learn from him. Again, being yoked is a way to teach. And so we are yoked with him to learn. He is our captain. And we learn as we are yoked with him. We learn in battle. In fact, we learn how to do anything right, pleasing to God, glorifying to him as we are yoked. And resisting him, or essentially with the same illustration, pulling against the yoke that we are in with him will disable us in battles that we face. We, we will all face them 
the battles with our own sinful nature, the battles with the world that is around us, and the influences of it upon us that are continual, and the battles with the enemy, Satan and the demonic hosts. And then Rodney, in February, he preached a mini-series, four verses, again, on spiritual warfare. I would encourage you to go back to those. I reviewed them some. It was a blessing. And he had four of them. First of all was know your enemy. Secondly, master your weaponry. That's a little bit more what we're talking about today. Third was engage your allies. And fourth was embrace your battle. And today we will look at a familiar passage to us here, this passage in uh, 2 Corinthians, because we have referred to this, I didn't count, but in my mind we have referred to this many times this year, probably in the past several years. We have prayed this quite a bit from the pulpit. I know I have heard many of you pray this. I know you know this passage. Praise God. But I would like to give, first of all, a background and a little more context of these verses, the four verses that we'll be looking at. I think you need a little more context, Paul's context uh, of Paul's letter uh, to help us understand these four verses. So Paul was dealing with a situation in Corinth. He's dealing with some men uh, or a group, a faction who were undermining his work there. And they were claiming an authority they did not have. He was gone. So they're trying to make, it, make hay, I guess, while he was gone. They were claiming an authority, and they were perverting the gospel, essentially. They were perverting the good news of Jesus by creating confusion about who Jesus is and by creating confusion about what he did, what is salvation. In verse 1, Paul said, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you, he said to the Corinthians, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. He's coming in humility. Who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you. Now, I believe that was what he was accused of by these super apostles. And actually, though it's true, he, he was humble. He was a humble man. He humbled himself, and he came in the meekness and gentleness of Christ, he said. And, but he could be bold, too. He, came, he could be bold. And then he said, But I beg you that when I am present... I may not be bold, may not have to be bold with the confidence I have by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. They're wrong. They think of us as, eh, they walk in the flesh. They're not much to look at. They're not much to listen to. There's, you know, you don't have to listen to them. So Paul was accused by some deceivers at Corinth uh, who wanted to basically take over, I think, take over while he was gone. And he was writing to the Corinthians to let them know that, yeah, he might be weak in body. He is in the flesh. Uh, he might not be a fancy speaker like they are or as polished as some of these deceivers may have been. Or maybe he wasn't just much to look at or something. Uh, there are commentaries who say he had a malady. They're not sure what that was. Maybe he has a malady with his eyes. Uh, maybe his speech was... Uh, think of Paul. How many times it'd be, he had been stoned and beaten and shipwrecked? Yeah, his body was probably a little beat up. And it was easy for them, for these people, to try to do this since Paul wasn't uh, there right then. He tried, they tried to take advantage of his absence. Now later in, in this chapter, uh, Paul said, this is in chapter 10, verses 12 through 14, he said, talking about this group again, for we dare not class or, or for we do not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. Now, they're all about themselves. They're full of pride. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, 
are not wise. Some versions say they had no understanding. The only thing, basis they had was comparing each other. Paul was not doing that. He said, we, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God has appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. In other words, I know my authority here. God has made it very clear. And he said, for we are not overextending ourselves. That's what they were doing, these people. We are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you, for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. He came with the gospel. These others kind of showed up. But Paul knew that his might, or if you'd say his strength, was spiritual. That's what he's saying here. And even though he was not present with them, uh, that his weapons were not limited by distance, or, his, or even by his physical presence, his, his, his warfare is of a different kind. And even if he was present, God was not limited by his weaknesses. But he knew that he could war against the enemy. And he told those people clearly, this is war. Because he, he knew he was mighty in God and powerful in God and through God. He knew he had been called as an apostle to the Gentiles, in this case to the Corinthians. And that he was rightfully exercising the authority that God gave him, clearly. Even though he wasn't there physically, and he was there, but, but he did it all for the sake of the saints in Corinth, whom he loved. In chapter 11, Paul showed them how much he loved them. He said, I am jealous for you. I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. So there's such a thing. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. That was his desire. I doubt that was the desire of the faction. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted by these deceivers, may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. That's what they were messing with. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. What does that mean, the simplicity in Christ? For He said, for he who comes, this is about these people, for he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. That's what he was concerned about. You may actually be taken in. And in his earlier letter, he told the Corinthians this. Again, this shows Paul's humility. And this is how we do war, by the way in humility. He said, I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is the simplicity of Christ in the gospel, which he preached. And he said, I was with you in weakness. Okay, think of this. Here's Paul these other people are, probably would never have said such a thing. Paul said, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. That doesn't sound like a man who's trying to show off, I don't think, like they were, or to show how strong he was in himself. He made it very clear he wasn't strong in himself. And he said, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration. So he was demonstrating, he was living out in demonstration of the spirit and of power. And we're talking about that in the sermon. What is that power that we have to go forward in battle? He wasn't, it wasn't uh, in, a, in the flesh. Demonstration of the spirit and power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Not unto us, Lord, not unto us. Is basically what he's saying. Paul made it clear that his speech and his preaching were not impressive, probably, uh, you know, because he was such a great speaker or he was eloquent. 
uh, like some claim to be, the, the, the false apostles claim to be. But what he said came in demonstration of the Spirit and power by the Spirit of, the, by the Spirit of God. And that who made him mighty in battle was the Spirit. And it is what makes us mighty in battle also. And if we are limited in battle, brothers and sisters, I believe, if you want to say it simply in one word, I believe it is because of pride. When we think we can engage in battle on any front, any of the three major fronts, in our strength, then we will be limited indeed. But praise God that we are not limited. We do not need to be limited in battle because our God is not limited. He knows all things. He has all power and might to do his will, and he will do his will, even though we are weak. Even through our weaknesses, he will do this by his grace. His strength, in fact, is manifested in our weakness. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And he can use humble servants and warriors in the battle. He can use those kind of people for his glory. And so take heart in that. Take heart as you face your battles. Well, Paul said... In verse 3, and he got a bit, he's starting to get a bit tougher here, I think. He said, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The false apostles thought of Paul as just kind of weak. And he was letting these false apostles know, and, and all of the people in Corinth, but he's letting specifically, especially the servants of Satan here, that he and those with him may not be that impressive in person in the flesh, and that they didn't intend even if they were present to fight physically uh, or compete with these false teachers, they might have been really good in debate. And that, but that he would war in a different way. And that's what we do. Not in the flesh, not as the world wars. Now certainly our soul is housed in a body and we must be faithful stewards to care for that body, uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit, to be able to do battle, of course. But our battles are primarily spiritual and our weapons are effective and they're mighty in battle because they are from God. They are through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross as we walk with him. And they are mighty when we wield them in the spirit. In Ephesians 6, again, probably a passage you are well acquainted of. This is an athletic metaphor. We've been looking at uh, this from a military metaphor uh, mostly today. But in Paul used this athletic metaphor we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, saying the same thing in a military way before. But, and you should know your enemies. That was one of the sermons Rodney preached. We have to know our enemy. He said, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, first of all, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. He knew who his, en- who his enemies were, and he knew he was not sufficient, but he was in Christ. And so Paul walked in the flesh. He had human weaknesses, but he didn't wrestle or fight or even think he could according to the flesh. He knew that to battle the spiritual host of wickedness, he had to battle in the Spirit. And he fought by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because his human enemies there, uh, although also in the flesh, they were controlled by their sinful nature. And they were controlled by the systems of the world that they really loved and owned and, and they loved to use with apparent sophistication probably. And They were used by demonic forces, certainly, or all three, probably. But the battle for hearts, the battle for righteousness, is spiritual. Paul Tripp, in his book called Lead, 
This is in a chapter, chapter called War. And providentially, the deacons and elders discussed this last Tuesday. We read this chapter. We discussed this chapter on war. And Paul Tripp said, Because we live in a fallen world, because there really is an enemy, Satan, because there is evil and temptation around us all the time, and because remaining sin still lives, leaves us susceptible to attack, we live every day in a war zone. Do we have that perspective? We live every day in a war zone. Waging war, according to the flesh, can result certainly in getting beat up. I think we would struggle a lot more in our battles if we sought to do it that way. We'd lose some battles. We'd become, I believe, discouraged, fearful. Uh, we'd doubt. Now, brothers and sisters, praise God that in Jesus Christ, the war cannot be lost. He won it at the cross. But battles can be tough still, and they will be, maybe growing in, in, as we go forward. And so we must use the weapons God has given. What are those? Paul said, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, not in the flesh, not by our might, but they are mighty in God. So we don't win battles by our strength, by our physical strength. We don't, even by our mental strength, if we can subdue somebody that way. A horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory is the Lord, is of the Lord, Proverbs 21. So we must learn, and it seems, you know, we often learn the best or the, through the hard times, uh, through hardship and through difficulty. And we've had that this year. We must learn that we are mighty in God. We are mighty for God through the weapons that he has given us. Praise God, he has given us weapons. We do, we do have marvelous bodies, yes, we have amazing minds, but they're not sufficient for spiritual battle, the kind we're going to face, the, the kind we are already facing. So what are those mighty weapons? First of all, uh, it, during our book discussion, by the way, Phil made a quick list of um, our weapons, basically. And I basically uh, had already finished the sermon, but I noticed that they all fit in the three groups that I have on your notes there. The first one being prayer. So this has been a growing emphasis in our church, obviously. We've been praying that we'd learn to pray. We've been praying that we'd be people of prayer. If we're not training ourselves to be prayer warriors, we will not be, I believe, mighty to pull down, to cast down, or to take thoughts captive. Because, brothers and sisters, prayerlessness usually means we are trying to battle in the flesh. Usually. Now, Rodney, in his sermon on Master Your Weaponry, he ended that sermon by saying that he focused on uh, the Word of God. Okay, what protects us? He said the Word of God and prayer and fasting. And he emphasized it strongly. Prayer and fasting. And we have prayed and fasted this year probably more in the years I've been here, than I, I can remember. Praise God for that. And Paul Tripp said in that same chapter, he said, perhaps there is no better defense against spiritual attack than humility. No greater defense. And you know why? Because prayer humbles us. Prayer humbles us. But we're mighty when we're humbled, when we humble ourselves. Tripp also said, uh, there are two things that are dangerous here. He said, what is really dangerous are two things. Naive assumptions of peacetime safety and secondly, proud assessments of personal invulnerability. Let me say that again. Two dangers. I fully agree. 
naive assumptions of peacetime safety. I think the church has been wallowing in this for too long. We're in a battle. But we are not as naive, praise God. He's opening our eyes to this. And then the second one is proud assessments. Forgive us. Lord, keep us from this kind of pride. Proud assessments of personal invulnerability. Now, we here have prayed often with fasting as a church recently. And I believe more than we ever have. I praise God that he is answering our prayer in this way to make us a praying church. Because then I believe we will be a victorious church. We will be mighty in battle for the glory of the Lord. I believe, and I believe, we, all, we believe that more battles are coming. Maybe more often, maybe more intense. And so I thank God for his training program. He's training us. And I thank him for his kindness in arming us for the fight in his name and arming us to do it in his way, not in our way. John Piper in Desiring God has a brief message called Winning Battles Through Prayer. It's a great brief uh, paper. The topic is world evangelism, uh, basically conquering the world uh, with the gospel. But he said this, Christian vision is not the imagining of a possibility, but the grasping of an inevitability. That's how we have to go forth in war. It's not, we're not just thinking, well, yeah, it's possible. You're imagining it maybe. But he said it's the grasping of an inevitability. And that inevitability is the triumph of the king of kings over all, over all opposition. And we win battles foundationally in prayer. I have a couple booklets up here. You're probably wondering, oh boy, he brought all these books up. But um, we have some of these. We've handed out these many times. Many of you have them in your homes, if you can find them. And prayers for spiritual warfare. If you're a visitor here, we have more copies. May we use it. We do use it. And then also we have, uh, we don't have the War Psalms booklet here. But yesterday we were at the abortion mill. We were at the abortion bill, mill, and we were praying the imprecatory psalms, similar to what, how Phil was praying today. And Phil calls those the nuclear weapons. I like that. Nuclear weapons that God has given us. I'd like to read something from the Valley of Vision. Every member here, every family here has this. The Wedekinds now have this. I gave them one. Maybe they already had one. But this has meant a lot to me. This has blessed me so much. I've told many of you, maybe you're tired of me saying this, but I am so encouraged because when I'm tired or weary during the day, or, but especially as I wake up from my morning devotions, and my mind isn't quite ready yet, and I want it to be ready when every time I open the Word of God, I want my mind to be ready. And so I usually read a prayer, and I pray a prayer. But I'd like to read this. I hope it's, it's somewhat poetic. It's not very long. I know it's easy to fall asleep during these things, but I will... This is very meaningful to what we're talking about today. And I would encourage you, it's on page 328, to look at this. But this is called the servant in battle. O Lord, I bless thee that the issue of the battle between thyself and Satan has never been uncertain and will end in victory. Calvary broke the dragon's head, and I contend with a vanquished foe, and with all his subtlety and strength has already been overcome. When I feel the serpent at my heel, may I remember him whose heel was bruised, but who, when bruised, broke the devil's head. My soul with inward joy extols the mighty conqueror. Heal me of any wounds received in the great conflict 
If I have gathered defilement, if my faith has suffered damage, if my hope is less than bright, if my love is not fervent, if some creature comfort occupies my heart, if my soul sinks under pressure of the fight. O thou whose every promise is balm, every touch life, draw near to thy weary warrior. I know some of you are weary here. Draw near to thy weary warrior. Refresh me that I may rise again to wage the strife and never tire until my enemy is trodden down. Give me such fellowship with thee that I may defy Satan, unbelief, the flesh, the world, with delight that comes not from a creature and which a creature cannot mar. Give me a draft of the eternal fountain that lies in thy immutable, everlasting love and decree. Then shall my hand never weaken, my feet never stumble, my sword never rest, my shield never rust, my helmet never shatter, my breastplate never fall, as my strength rests in the power of thy might. Amen? That is the point of this whole sermon. And I would encourage you to pray that. Praise God with it. Well, another mighty weapon and another means of grace is the gospel of salvation in the word of God. Revelation chapter 12 is the center of the chiasm of Revelation. It's the central verse. Revelation 12 says this. Now, salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives even to the death. So they overcame. They are overcomers. They were mighty in God by the power of the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, by his blood shed for them, and by his word, and by their testimony of the word, which is truth. So the continual lies of the enemy, the continual lies of of the ungodly and righteous world uh, around us that we live in, and from the part of our sinful hearts, not sanctified, must be dealt with by the word of God. Must be dealt with by the truth. The only way. Our flesh and our sinful hearts lie to us a lot. Less and less, I believe. Praise God. He's sanctifying us. Now, the world lies all the time, pretty much, that we don't need Jesus, especially. And especially the status in the government. Satan is the father of lies. And the demonic hosts, his demonic hosts, are liars as well. And as the word must be spiritually discerned. We must discern the word of God spiritually. He gives us grace. He's indwelt us by his spirit. And so we have that illumination. So the word must be spiritually discerned for us to understand it. But it also must be spiritually spoken. It must be spiritually shared. It must be spiritually taught. We must be spiritual in that also. And it's meant to be spoken. And is living and active and powerful beyond anything that the enemy can bring against us. We overcome. We are overcomers. We overcome the enemy through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus, and we overcome by the testimony of the word, testimony of him through his word. Now, if we are not consistent, I believe, brothers and sisters, if we are not consistent and actively growing in the knowledge of his precious and powerful word, and if we're not consistent in the application of the word of God, we will be much less able 
to be engaged in spiritual warfare. So the word of our testimony, in other words, the true gospel of who Jesus is and of his work of salvation, that is what we must be speaking of. This is, by the way, the primary way I believe that the enemy seeks to deceive and to weaken the saints. And it's been going on from the beginning, from creation. He seeks to distort the gospel in Jesus. Well, our third weapon, the third group, is what I called covenanted worship. Covenanted worship. We are learning this also here, praise God, that we are strong through the body of Christ. We are covenanted with. And it was a joy as the Wedekinds came. They, ex- they expressed this months ago. Said, we must, we need, we know we need to be covenanted with somebody, somewhere, who can help us grow. And they took steps of faith. They took, they took action, which we witnessed, praise God. And they covenanted with us. We covenanted with them this morning. We covenanted to fight with them, basically, to serve with them. So don't try to fight alone. We can't do that. We should never even try. We fight together, and we have each other's backs. We worship together, which is part of our strength to go forward. And as we worship together, as we have this morning, it's been so joyful, we've heard the scriptures, we've sung them, and we've read them. And also we have prayed, and we have praised God in our song. And we've come to the table. The sacraments give us strength. These are all preparations for war. Worshiping together is war against all the three fronts. Even at the time of our worship right now. We are warring, if you haven't thought about that. Listen to this. This is from the mighty word of God. This is Psalm 149, verses 6 through 9. Verse 6 begins by talking... It's basically talking about relating worship and war. I'm not going to read the whole psalm, just verses 6 through 9. And it begins, Let the high praises of God be in their mouth. They are praising God. This is what it says after that. And a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgment. This honor, it says, have all the saints. This honor we all have to praise and to pray like this, to war like this. Doug Wilson, he has a series, maybe it's a series or a sermon, but it's on worshiping and, and warfare also. But he said this, the church is the worshiping assembly and her mission is to call the nations to worship God. But worship is not only our goal, it is also one of the chief means assigned to achieving that goal. Worship is not a retreat from the church's work of conquest. Worship is a fundamental strategy of the the church militant. Worship is not a retreat from cultural engagement. Rather, worship is the driving engine of all true cultural engagement. Amen. May it be so here that we never retreat from cultural engagement out of fear or whatever reason. I don't care how strong the state gets. Never retreat. May we never retreat from the church's work of conquest. We have a dominion mandate. And because we joyfully worship together here, we are covenanted to do this together. And we're able to do this by the grace of God together. Charles Spurgeon, in his pithy way, wrote kind of the same thing, but really short. He said, the Christian faith is a lifelong street fight. 
Okay, that's his kind of style of speaking. I don't know if before he's a believer he was in street fights, but he's right. And we should not really ever get comfortable with a peacetime mentality. Battles can be hard. They've been hard this year. They've been hard this week. But the Lord, our captain, is also our rest, as we saw in Matthew 11. In him, you find rest for your souls. That kind of rest. So I have a question for you all. Do do you, do we prepare for worship knowing that it is vital to our being able to engage in any kind of spiritual warfare? How do you prepare during the week for this time of worship? If it's that vital for warfare, and especially late on, later on a Saturday. Do you ask the Lord to enable you to worship in the joy of the Lord, which is your strength? That is our strength, the joy of the Lord. Worshiping with joy strengthens you. I feel much stronger already today by praising the Lord with you all. Is your heart ready to give him joyful and exuberant praise? Remember, that's what extol means. Exuberant praise on this, the Lord's day. This joyful, strengthening praise must be done, of course, in faith, in the Spirit, and regularly, together. And dear family, the weapons of our warfare may not be evident to the world. They may not be much care about them, in fact. In fact, they, they are, if they even notice them, they're despised. But the enemy of our souls knows how effective these are, how effective these weapons are, that they're, because they are mighty in God. They are mighty in God, and we grow in strength as we worship And as we pray, as we are in the word of God. The last section here is about what mighty weapons can do. These are the verses that a lot of people have in their mind a lot. So first of all, the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Now strongholds here, and you have to remember the context, strongholds here means falsehoods that have been built up like a fortress or established in the hearts and minds of the Corinthians church, is what Paul was thinking, by the false apostles by the servants of the enemy there. These falsehoods were about the gospel. Error, this is grievous error against who Jesus is and his work of salvation regarding, for example, his humanity and his his divinity and that he was and is fully God and fully man. Or uh, they cast a doubt about uh, the work of reconciliation. You know, is it finished? You know, do I have to do more? Those kind of teachings and thoughts need to be destroyed. They need to be pulled down. They need to be fought. Now, the verb pulling down here means to demolish and to destroy. This was, again, primarily a military term. It was related to pulling down a fortress, you know, usually made out of big rock. That's the picture. But you do it in the Spirit. The people of God with the weapons of God in the Spirit are no match. We can pull down fortresses no matter what they are. Jericho is an example of literal high walls that the enemy erected to keep out the people of God. But the people of God prayed, and there's total destruction. It was pulled down through prayer. It was a whole city. Now these deceptions and these distortions of the world, these fortresses, so to speak, especially about our Lord Jesus, are dealt with, again, by the truth of the word of God. And Paul is in this letter reminding the Corinthians of the things that he taught, of the truth that he was given and he taught. And we, brothers and sisters, need to remind ourselves of the gospel of Jesus every day. Every day. A day should not go by that we do not praise the God for sending the Lord Jesus to save us. We had no hope otherwise. 
We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We need to praise him and remind ourselves who he is. We need to praise him and remind ourselves of what he did for us on the cross. And we have other good reminders, by the way, or summaries, I guess you could say, of of what we believe, what the word teaches. These are very helpful, very important. We have the creeds. We have the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed, and the Chalcedonian Creed. Now, those last two, we don't quote very often here. We probably won't. They're fairly extensive. But you should be aware of those. You should read those. Put them into your homeschool curriculum. But the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, Creed, we, we do. We affirm much more commonly. And we also have what is called the three forms of unity. We have the Heidelberg Catechism, which we're going through now. Uh, we have the Canons of Dort, the Belgic Confession. You can look those up. But those are important parts of what we believe. And, of course, the Westminster Confession, which is the secondary standard of the CPC, the denomination we are a part of. These were written by godly men to refute error, especially error about who Jesus is and what he did. And we need those. And it's, they were meant to keep strongholds of error which oppose the gospel from being built up in the church. And again, the enemy will always try to confuse people about who the Lord is and about his work. And the creeds and the confessions have helped the church for hundreds and hundreds of years. So may we be alert so that strongholds are not built up and not able to be established in our lives as we use the mighty weapons of God. Secondly, the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God for casting down arguments, it says, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now, cast down here basically means to tear it down. Tear it down. And I like the New Living paraphrase. I don't often go to the New Living, uh, but I like this kind of one uh, short verse, the summary, really, of the whole sermon. But it said, We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. That's what we do. Now, the arguments here are, could be summarized as wrong reasoning, wrong thinking, terrible philosophies, occultish things. But really, any obstacle that keeps people from knowing God, that's what we're talking about, from knowing who Jesus is and from knowing that salvation is only in him. And high things might refer again to fortresses, you know, uh, a high barrier, uh, something elevated, in other words, you know, something really hard to scale uh, and seemingly impassable. Now, these lofty opinions and these deceptions of the enemy and uh, from those in the world are based, again, I would affirm, on pride. Pride and arrogance and obstinate rebellion against the king of all and against his word. So they reject him as God, they reject Jesus as Lord and Savior, and they reject his word, his law, and the gospel. And so we are to have a part, brothers and sisters, in casting down and tearing down the rebellious thoughts that have been raised up. And there are many of them or are now being erected. This present day and time, many organizations are trying to erect walls around the knowledge of God not getting out, not being preached against obedience to his word. The whole government, the whole government school system, certainly, the medical establishments, private companies, the state, federal government, federal governments, liberal churches. But the key thought is that we do have weapons, We do have weapons that are able to cast these things down, cast down idols, cast down these fortresses erected against the gospel. 
And we should consistently pray in faith, claim the promises of God, and worship. Worship in joy, which is our strength. And move forward in battle and in faith together. We should not despair if this gets hard or harder, if it takes longer than we thought, if it's just plain so painful we don't know how we can go on. Remember, the weapons given to us by the grace of God have divine power and are mighty in God. Let's use them. Third, the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God for bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That is, I believe, every thought of ours, even though we're Christians, those thoughts still, the unsanctified ones have to be taken captive. And certainly it means against those who deny the Lord and his word. Evangelism is needed. It's commanded. We're to go out. That's one way. We're to take those errors captive. And the so-called prisoners of war here, I think, would be the thoughts of those who rebel against the word, of uh, those who distort the truth of the gospel again. The enemy will also seek to create doubt in the truth of the word of God. Don't you think that it's logical he would try to do that? He has to do that. He always does that. And we should not be ignorant that this is one of his main devices, if you're still reading that book about the enemy's devices, which is why we must do battle and be ready to take errant thoughts captive, to be apologists who rightly handle the word of truth. We need to be, keep growing in that. And we, we need to grow in defending and standing up for its absolute truth. Where you are, where, where you are at your level, you can do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't need to have bouncing all in your head. Now, the errors of the unregenerate heart and mind regarding the word must be refuted. False doctrine, false practice, they must be subdued under the authority of the Lord and by his delegated authorities. And with that, I'd like to um, suggest another book, or in this case, it's a booklet and a book, uh, but this is Phil's book on the canon, which is so helpful. It was very helpful to me when I read this some years ago in defending the veracity of, of the canon that we have, of the, the books of the Bible that we have, of the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. The Bible itself proves, proves the doctrine of the canon. And praise God, the word we have is sufficient to settle the questions of what should be our canon. And if you have any doubts in this, if you have doubts um, or are weak in understanding how the word came to be, it may hamper you, I believe, in casting down arguments and in bringing thoughts into captivity to the Lord. The enemy will attack you on this. I know. And so this book is, this, we have some of these in the back also. Well, another book is Every Thought Captive. We've referred to this many times. I just brought the book if someone wants to look at it. Every Thought Captive, it's a study manual for the uh, defense of Christian truth. And I already referred to the Bonson Project. You can go online, you can get all those through, um, it's his complete work on apologetics. It's on Sermon Audio and on on their website. So, brothers and sisters, let's prepare and be more ready to take thoughts captive to obey Christ. And finally, Related to pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and taking thoughts captive, in the church, the weapons of our warfare are mighty in exercising discipline. Paul said here, he was ready. He was ready. And he was telling those people in Corinth, messing with his dear beloved people, he was ready to punish all disobedience when or as soon as Uh, He said, your obedience is fulfilled or complete. They were working on that from the first letter. 
Uh, in Moffat's commentary, he used military metaphor also. And he wrote this. And I thought this was a good uh, title for Paul. And he said, uh, or he said this of Paul, I am prepared to court-martial anyone who remains insubordinate once your submission is complete. He is ready to bring discipline at the right time. As the, uh, this is what uh, Hughes in his commentary said. He called Paul, he said, Paul was ready because he was the apostolic commander of the forces at Corinth. It's a good picture. The apostolic commander of the forces at Corinth. He was the leader there. and He knew he was called and he had authority. So the Lord will use leaders. He will use elders. He will use parents and others. He will use the civil government, as weak as it may be right now. He will use them in discipline, in his discipline. Those who have been given authority because the Lord does discipline and he does train and he does teach and he does protect through his leaders, through his delegated leaders. Paul believed that most of the Corinthians would be obedient to the discipline given earlier and those who would not. He said, basically, boldly, I'm ready to punish all disobedience. And he's talking about war here. He's telling them, this is what war looks like. And that faction of rebellious men, I think, didn't know the kind of man they were dealing with. I think they really didn't understand his office either. And they likely did not reckon with the mighty weapons that Paul was willing to use and ready to use. Well, dear family of God, we, we cannot war, we cannot battle, we cannot struggle in the flesh, or we should not. We cannot do that in our strength, certainly not alone. Phil and I personally were talking this week uh, thinking more and more about our physical weaknesses. We don't, actually, we don't sit around talking about those all the time. I'll just tell you that right now. But it, it's obvious, you know. So we, we talked about those, but even more importantly, we talked about how we see God's strength in us. By his grace, certainly, and in this church, growing in this church, and more and more we are seeing, again, that our strength is in the Lord. And we battle, and we are battling spiritual enemies now with spiritual weapons, as we should, and as we should together. Our inward man is perishing day by day, but our outward man is being renewed day by day. And so, dear family of God, let's go to battle with the weapons that are mighty because they are from God, our Father, because they are mighty through the victorious work of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, and because they are mighty because we are empowered by his spirit who dwells in us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you as our king and as our Lord and the Lord of the hosts of the warrior angels. And we give you all praise that we are never alone in the battles and that the victory is assured in you. Lord, we are thankful that you have supplied us with mighty weapons to go forth in your name. And Lord, we pray that we would fight in faith and pull down strongholds, cast down arguments and vain philosophies and sinful worldviews. And we would take thoughts captive to obey you, Lord Jesus. We praise you for allowing us and calling us to pray. And we rejoice in your powerful word. And we give thanks for strengthening us even during this time of worship and through worship. Lord, we commit this week ahead to you. And we have come before your throne for your mercy and your grace as we serve 
for your glory. And we ask this in the name of the King of Kings, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.